Hello and welcome to the Jackass, the Swansea City podcast. I am Gitta Llewellyn and with me, as always, we have Steve Carroll and Matt Barocco. Evening, boys. Evening. Uh, we've also, as it's the Derby Day weekend, we've got a, a special guest with us tonight. And it is a very special guest because for your listening delight, we have former professional footballer, journalist at The Athletic, the absolutely brilliant authority in all things Swansea that is Stuart James. How are you, Stu? Well, I was all right until that intro. That's made me feel a bit anxious now. A lot to live up to. Um, and I'm very well, thank you. And thanks for having me on. I'm really looking forward to this, fellas. Oh, we're really chuffed to have you on. Uh, and it's a brilliant week to have you on because, of course, like I said, we're looking forward to the South Wales derby and that chance to complete a historic double over our oldest rivals. Um, but before we get to the Derby chat, and we'll also finish off by discussing um, Wales's exploits at the end of the pod too. Before that, we thought it would be a good chance, seeing as we've got Stu on the podcast, to um, look back at all things um, Swansea this season and how the season has gone. Before we do that, Stu, um, just for those who don't know, how did you get so closely involved with the Swans? Because obviously you write a lot with them ab- about this, but I think it's it's fair to say that by now you are also a, a fanatical fan. I, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, that that is a fair description for sure. Yeah, far too fanatical, actually. I don't know how I've got emotionally involved with this crazy football club, a club like I have. But anyway, um, yeah, it, uh, it goes back really to... Um, Covering the club for uh, for the Guardian and the Observer, and really enjoying that period when Swansea first came into the Premier League. And from a media point of view, uh, the access was amazing. It was just really refreshing dealing with a club at that level. Who um, I'm sure the players didn't see this as refreshing, but were using their local fitness health club um, to uh, to uh, do change basically before they went training. Obviously, where you'd sort of walk in there and you'd see Michael Laudrup having a having a latte next to uh, next to someone who'd just come out of the gym kind of thing. It was all a bit surreal. And you do your interviews in that environment um, with the players. And they just it, it was just a breath of fresh air from what I'd been used to. Um, everyone seemed really kind of humble. I think a lot of the players had been on that journey with the club through the league. So really, really enjoyable covering Swansea during that time. Didn't really think anything more of it. Um, and then uh, my son... Um, got into football around the age of three or four. I think on the back of the 2014 World Cup, he got really kind of engaged with that. And um, and yeah, we just had a free Saturday afternoon and I was thinking, oh, what shall I do? Um, I quite like to take him to a game somewhere. And, and I found Swansea um, a really friendly club to deal with. Jonathan Wiltshire, the former head of media, was always amazing and uh, really welcoming there. So um I basically took Zach to Swansea one afternoon. Um, I think it was 2015 this now. Yeah, I know it was a nil-nil draw with Everton. I can remember Kevin Morales was sent off, I think, late on. It was a, it was a pretty poor game, actually, um, which doesn't explain why Zach fell in love with Swansea that day. Um, but he did, and he wanted to keep going back. And so I used to do that sporadically um, through, uh, through that season and a bit of the next one, I think. And, uh, and then it got to the point where I thought, you know, I should just get a couple of season tickets. And um, I didn't really think that through um, because obviously I was covering the club and in the press box at that time and I needed someone to to sit with Zach. Uh, so it was the opening day of the um, of the season, the dreadful season when we went down. Sorry, not the opening day. I think it was the first home game, which was Man United. Does that sound right? Um, yeah, that's I think, 
I think we lost 4-0. Um, and anyway, I told my dad, my dad's 84 now, so he must have been, I don't know, 78, 79. And then I said, oh, um, I've got a couple of tickets for you um, to sit with Zach at Swansea against Man U. Do you fancy coming down? And uh, I had to twist his arm a little bit. And it wasn't until literally we got outside the ground that I handed him the tickets. And obviously it said season ticket on there. And he kind of just looked at me and said, am I doing this every week? Um, and uh, I said, oh, no, no, Dad, it'll be fine. We'll find some other people to do that too. But he did sit with my son an awful lot that season because I was in the press box. Occasionally, I'd have a, uh, a week off and, and we'd sit with Zach. I remember doing that for that Liverpool game. God knows how we won that um, when Alfie Mawson scored, I think. So, yeah, I just found myself getting more and more immersed in the club, I guess, through through Zach, really. And strangely, and I know this will sound odd to people, I've been quite emotionally detached from football for a long time before that. I'd, I'd reported on it. I'd played, you know, not at a high level. I was released from Swindon uh, after two years apprentice, one year pro, and then played for Bath City for five years, semi-professional Newport County for a couple of years. And, and once I started reporting... I didn't feel any emotional connection with the club. My dad had taken me to Forest a lot in the 80s when I was younger. Um, but yeah, I just was sort of drifting along with football, really, and just concentrating on it from a work point of view. So to suddenly be emotionally involved in it um, was was quite strange, really. And I often think, you know, I'm in games like when I'm doing that ridiculous stuff that time's running out and, you know, the fourth official puts four minutes up and I'm setting my stopwatch so that I can monitor every second. I'm thinking, what on earth has become of me? Um, and, uh, yeah, I've fallen in love with the club and, you know, absolutely uh, it's really thrilled going to games. It's not all about the, the matches, which is probably a good thing. It's about meeting up with Steve, having a chat, other people I've got to know, the season ticket holders around us and just, you know, really nice connection with the club. It's obviously a long trip, um, 160 mile round trip all the time with Zach, but um, they're brilliant days out and never regretted getting involved at all. Uh, wish we'd seen a bit more success. Wish we'd enjoyed those brilliant years that you boys had, um, you know, when Swansea were doing well in the Premier League, those European nights, but um, still really love going now. So, uh, yeah, that's that's my story, really. Has your son forgiven you yet? <laughs> Do you know what? It's so strange because when we um when we go anywhere, obviously we don't you know we're Bristolians. We, we don't have the Welsh accent, and and that the first thing people say to Zach, who's normally got a Swansea top on somewhere, and, and stuff, so, well, you're not Welsh. Why, why do you support Swansea? And then I have to try and kind of go through that that story, which um yeah uh, I I don't know. I think Zach he, he quite enjoys being different as well. Most of the kids around here support. Bristol City. Um, the club had a real drive a few years ago to sort of tap into that young support, and actually they've done that. They've done that really well. So you don't see what I remember growing up with, which is in the 80s, loads of kids walking around with Liverpool shirts on and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, he is the odd one out, but um, no, he 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 loves going there, and um, yeah, you know, his life revolves around that that football club, really. That's brilliant to you. Absolutely fantastic. Um, let's. Well, just get down to it then. Um, this season has been a bit of a crazy one at the Swans. Well, it's always crazy with the Swans, as you know. Um, yeah. but what have you made of this season so far? Because, of course, Russell Martin came in very, very late in the summer. Um, and I think we all accepted there was going to be um, a season of transformation and that that may have its ups and downs. How's it been from your point of view? 
Yeah, all of that really. I mean, I remember standing with Steve um, behind the goal at Blackburn on the opening day um, and um, yeah, thinking, crikey, this is going to take some time. I think we knew that anyway, but that confirmed it that day. In fact, when you look back at the team that day and where people were playing and it, actually so much has changed even since then, uh, which is bizarre to think really when we're only talking, um, well, I don't know, eight, nine months ago, something like that. But uh yeah, it was always going to be so difficult because of the circumstances. The circumstances do annoy me. I think it was crazy that it ran on as long as it did with Steve Cooper when, you know, deep down we all knew he was going to go. Um, but that was obviously really disruptive. You do wonder what difference it would have made if Russell Martin could have come in uh, six weeks earlier. Uh, I think we could see on that in that Blackburn performance on the opening day um, what he was trying to do. But how he was doing it, racing against the clock. And, and that showed, you know, it felt like in the second goal I recall when, unfortunately, Bender seems to think made a mistake. Um, that had looked like happening a few times and that's not a reflection on him. They just hadn't had a chance to work on the training ground as you'd like to when you're having a real shift in philosophy, which it was. You know, we were going uh, to a different style of play, a really strongly possession-based style. And then to answer your question about how it's been... Um, it's been enjoyable at times. It's been frustrating on other occasions too. I, I have this feeling of wanting to sort of press fast forward really um, and, and skip through the season and get to the start of next season, even though we all would like to think really positive things will happen in the summer, but none of us can be sure that will happen. And I can't see us spending much money. So the club's going to have to be really clever in how it re recruits the players that probably we all think we need. Um, it's been weird on other levels too because I look back, my favourite week of the season um, was, and it's probably a lot of Swansea fans I'd imagine, when we beat Cardiff and then we followed that up beating West Brom. And uh, I love the Cardiff game for obvious reasons, but actually I enjoyed the West Brom one every bit as much and maybe even more. And I know that will sound strange to some people, but I think we were all buzzing still from Cardiff and then we did we not concede within a minute or something that night against West Brom? Yep. I got, yeah. Um, and I remember thinking, oh, bloody hell, here we go. Um, but actually, we, we played really well that night, especially second half. And, and we got absolutely what we deserved. And Patterson's goal to win the game, you know, was a fantastic moment. Um, I remember jumping around like an idiot, just like I had done for the Cardiff game a few days earlier. And, and I think I just got swept along with it a bit then and thought, yeah, we're really going somewhere. Yeah. Um, and, and I, you know, I then came the reality check of actually, no, it's not just going to all fall into place. And, and then there were some difficult performances after that, some frustrating ones. Reading at home drove me bonkers. You know, I just couldn't believe what I was kind of seeing that day. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been hard. And sometimes you feel where are we going with this on other occasions, like Huddersfield away in the second half, you think, wow, yeah, I see this now. This is really taking shape. And then there seems to be another step back again. So um, perhaps it's exactly what it looked like it would be at Blackburn on the opening day and what we should have all really anticipated. Um, it's going to take Russell Martin time. I should say I do think he was a really good appointment and I really like him as a guy. I think he's totally immersed in Swansea as a city, as a football club. I think he's really bought into it in that way. Um, but... But I think we can all see that there needs to be, you know, an influx of players again in the summer if we're going to make this style of play work. And yeah, if I go back to the most recent game I saw, Birmingham away, I came away, I can't lie, quite frustrated that day. I wanted to see us pass the ball with a lot more conviction in purpose. And I thought we were very fortunate to get a point that day.
Yeah, I don't I don't think many people would disagree with you there. Steve, um, do you agree with what Stu said? Is that a fair reflection of how you see the season so far as well? But yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it has been very inconsistent, hasn't it, really? I mean, you, you wouldn't really want to bet on the Swans, I would say. I mean, there's been a few occasions where we've been pleasantly surprised. And there's been a few where it's it's gone the other way. I think the, the slow start was predicted by all of us, really, wasn't it? With the, the, the steward outline, really, with the, the lack of pre-season for a new manager. And obviously then the, the change in philosophy. And then a few players came and went as well. So... Yeah, I think the frustrating thing really is I don't think we've progressed as much as I probably would have liked. Um, so that is a frustration and we'll certainly be looking for that, I think, over the last few games to take some momentum really into next season. But I don't think we've, you know, we've, there's been some poor performances, haven't there? And I, th- I think at times we're still questioning what our best team is um, and just some of the mistakes we're making it just feels like we're not learning from them at times. So there is some frustration there I would say but we've just got to remain patient and we I think uh, you know it's it's difficult there isn't a bottomless pit there of money so whatever happens in the summer we're gonna to have to be shrewd with our spending. Matt I think we've seen some growing frustration probably since um, probably since Christmas in particular that this kind of feeling that things aren't moving on a bit um, and there have even been one or two kind of Martin out grumbles and a few people kind of saying that they're losing faith in the manager. Um, I mean, where, where do you stand on this? Because as, as Stuart said, we had kind of a rapid improvement at the start of the season to the point where I, I like Stuart, got a little bit carried away, I think, that week that we beat Cardiff and West Brom and then the away at Coventry was fantastic as well. Um, but we've had a slump since then. And I think it, I think it sort of plateaued um in, in the last few months and we've had a few good performances more bad performances but a lot of middling performances as well and it's just been difficult to build any kind of momentum uh over the last few months do, do, do you think this is where do, well at the start of the season would you have expected this to be the case under russell martin or do you think it has actually f- failed to meet initial expectations um I would say we're pretty much we're not far off where I thought we'd be uh, in terms of uh, league position and um, points on the board. Um, I think we've we've probably just done it a little bit backwards, really. I expected the slow start, but I expected it to um, to slowly see the building blocks of the philosophy come into place and the the shape to look. Then you can something's coming about here now. Um, and, and, and you start to see these things growing over time and then almost, I mean, I, a nightmare for going back to the Potter season on this podcast, but in that Potter season, we, we grew. Obviously, that was a team that hadn't really played much football for three years either and the, a lot of youngsters came into that team and we grew through the season and then towards the end of the season, I thought we were really building something now and I think everyone had kind of like bought into it and thought, yeah, you know, next season is going to be a really good season for Swansea City. Of course, he leaves in the summer. But this season for us, we kind of we did peak around the November time or October time, and and have most of our good performances within the three or four week period, which was was great at the time, and it did lead us all up that path of thinking, God, what are we going to be like in April if we're like this now? Um, and of course, since then, there's been a lot of grumbles, but. I don't think they're unjust. I think I, I do think to an extent um, where we're at is perhaps where we 
should be at. But what we're not seeing as much of, which I'd like to see more of, is those building blocks. Are those examples of what we're doing in the week in training? Um, the statistic about the, the lack of set-piece goals, which thankfully that ducks off our back now. Um, but in terms of where we are um, growing, making the same mistakes every week and stuff like that, defensively, shape looking all over the place. Um, and you're thinking, right, okay, that was a bad performance. Defensively, we looked all over the shop. And then to see it again a few days later or a week later, these are few fans scratching their heads. So um, the season has been a weird one. And, and and I think there's a lot of weight being put on this season being a transitional season. And I hope, I really do hope that that is, is the case. And next season is a completely different uh, a different story because um, I want to see us look, learn and look to see, right, okay, clearly this is what we've been working on. Um, and, and that's really where any confusion and disappointments come from from my end is not always seeing the training ground work or what is supposed to have been happening on the training ground transpire on a match day, which frustrates everyone. It probably frustrates Russell Martin more than most, to be honest. Interesting you mentioned Potter there, Matt, um, because I was doing a bit of digging um, before this pod. Um, and interestingly, at the exact same point in Potter's season in charge, we had a point less than we do now after mm-hmm. 37 games. Um yeah which shocked me, I'll be honest, because I remember that part of the season as probably a, probably a smoother one in terms of kind of consistent progression, perhaps, than I remember this one. I think this one's been a lot more kind of stop-start than, than Potter's was, even though obviously he had plenty of difficulties um, to put up with and not least that crazy January transfer window. Um, but I, I don't know, I was a bit surprised because I remember the mood towards the manager and towards kind of what what the manager and the players were doing back then being probably more positive than the mood is currently around the Russell Martin project and and this current season. Would you agree with that? All I will say as a caveat to that is my recollection of that season is we were better and played better than 90% of the teams we come up against. That wasn't always the case, but a lot of the time we were undone by extreme naivety, which is something that's happened this season as well, but a lot of it is is to do with defensive shape, which I think is a training ground thing. Um, And awful refereeing decisions. um, Just, just, so unlucky and unfortunate sometimes that we would batter teams and somehow contrive to lose. In fact, the complete opposite of what we experienced under Steve Cooper, uh, where he just thought under Potter, we would we would dominate games, but not just dominate it by passing it around and having 600, 700 passes with two shots on goal. This would be a game where you'd have, uh, especially in the second half of the season, where you'd have Dan James running the show. You'd have Ollie McBurney, who would spend more time in midfield than up front because he was such a workhorse. And the whole team, uh, Bursan Salina that season, uh, was an absolute genius. Um, but we had so much fluidity in our play, so much movement. So it was exciting to watch. And, and it was really, you enjoyed looking forward to the Swans games, thinking, win or lose here, we're going to play some lovely football. And, and we were really unlucky in a lot of our games, uh, which can perhaps can uh, explain some of the reasons why the point total is, is so close. Um, but again, going back to it, it was really exciting. And I think one of my gripes about this season is, if I'm being honest, it really hasn't been that entertaining at all. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, Stu, Matt mm. spoke a little bit earlier there about the building blocks. Are you seeing building blocks? Are you seeing things that Russell Martin is putting in place right now, which, you know, even though this season's not really going to result in much, we're going to finish roughly mid-table, lower, lower mid-table probably. Are you seeing things being put in place now that you feel will lead to kind of better things next season? I think I am at times, but not not always. Um you know, I go back, I mentioned that Huddersfield second half and I thought we were outstanding that day. Um, and then that's the frustration. You think, well, why can't we do that on a more regular basis? Um, I agree with, it's interesting when you think of the Potter one. And look, I'm Johnny come lately to Swansea. I'm very conscious of that. But for me, those last few years in the Premier League, that survival football, I think everyone had become really tired of that. So I think when you think back to Potter's season, I also see it in the context of thinking, Actually, this is a breath of fresh air. There's a few kids in the team. There's some new faces. We're back to playing, you know, what we like to call the Swansea way. And and I guess with um, with the situation now, there's the context of, OK, it's now the fourth season out of the Premier League. And um, maybe people's patience isn't quite the same as it would have been a few years ago um it's so difficult to gauge because obviously we've had covid as well and the bizarre thing with the whole steve cooper situation is that you know fundamentally we're gauging the mood from social media more than anything else because cooper bizarrely had um you know very few games in charge with fans he had he had more obviously um without supporters in the stadium and we can all say what we think it might have been like at times last season but we can't be can't be sure i mean I think you could see those building blocks really clearly with Potter. And I remember hearing when Brighton were coming in, I was absolutely devastated by that because I was thinking I'm so intrigued to see what Graham's going to do in his second season in charge. And who knows what he would have done. Obviously, DJ um, had gone and, and, and Ollie was uh, was, was going to be gone anyway and Ollie the same. Um, so we, we can't be sure, but there was certainly during that second half of the season. It's interesting the stat you mentioned because it doesn't feel like that to me. Um, uh, but obviously the, the, the figures are the figures. I, I recall going along to games in that second half of the season and feeling really excited about what I was going to watch and thinking I had a clear idea of what I was going to see as well in terms of the way he wanted to play. Um, and there was that, just that buzz around the place. McBurney was terrific up front. Um DJ, whenever he got the ball, you just thought something was going to happen. And we don't seem to have those same players now. I mean, I'll be honest, when I turned up for the Birmingham game the other day and 10 minutes before kickoff, they said that Patterson was out of the team. I was like, oh, God. And and should I really feel that downbeat that one player is not going to be out there? But suddenly I was thinking, well, that's all our creativity gone. And that might seem sound over the top to some, but it does feel like that, that so much hangs on him. You look at the Peterborough game just before, and he's got, he sets up one goal. Another goal is what we call what, a second assist now, where it should have gone in the first time. And then uh, I think Perot puts it in after. Um, but he, he's just so central to the way we play, um, or, or, or the way we play when we play well. And so, yeah, I felt quite demoralised by that. And actually, as it, happens um I was right to feel like that in a way because I just I just felt we, we we really struggled against Birmingham um the, the concern is is also um and I don't want to sound a negative tone but the ease with which teams seem to play through us at times I mean Birmingham that day seemed to get in again and again 
and it just feels like on the transition when we lose the ball we're we're very very open um so i think you know uh you, you have to it's no good saying when he's appointed we need to be patient and then nine months later being fed up with it um i think we have to give him time would we have liked to have seen it further forward yes perhaps the comparisons that we make with potter aren't always helpful it's different players but I think come the start of next season, Russell Martin's going to need to um, start the season well. Um, and, and we can't use that word transitional anymore then. And if he's going to start the season well, I feel he's going to have to be supported in terms of the players that he wants to bring in in the summer. Because I still feel that squad at the minute is a long way off um, what it needs to be to play this brand of football that he wants to play and be successful with it. Um, the, the little glimpses like at Huddersfield make you think, oh yeah, it can happen, but it's just not happened nearly often enough. And I look at the players at the back and I think he needs some pace back there. He needs players who are more comfortable on the ball back there. I think we need a more another creative player in midfield, someone who's box to box probably, who can get goals, who can set up goals, not just depend on Patterson. And and then you've got the um, the wing-backs area as well. Obviously, we don't know what um, is going to be like. It's too soon to judge him yet. Uh, I thought Christie's done really, really well. Uh, he'd had a difficult afternoon against Birmingham. That's as poor as he's been. But uh, if we look at his whole time at the club, he's he's been excellent. And actually, I think he's carried more of a goal threat than Ethan Laird did. So, um, you know, there's positives to take from that. But, yeah, um, in terms of those building blocks, I guess... You see them at times, but you don't see them often enough. And just finally on that set piece one, we, I've only ever left two Swansea games early. It's like an absolute no-no for Zach and I, even with the long journey and it being sometimes in the Premier League losing heavily. Um, but uh, one was the playoff final when Danda had that shot in the 90th minute that went into the crowd. And I thought I've seen enough now and just had had enough. Um, and the other game was Fulham, ironically, when it went 3-0 down and was a school night. And I'm thinking, we're down to 10 men. This is going nowhere. And we got outside the ground and then just heard the announcement that Joel Perot has scored kind of thing. And ironically, I said to, looked at my phone and I said, not only that, Zach, we've scored from a corner as well kind of thing. And he went to turn on his heel to go back in. He said, we might get something out of this. I said, no, we won't. And another 100 yards later, it was 4-1. So um, anyway, there we go. It's, it's difficult to analyse. I don't know how coherent that is, but... Um, yeah, it's it's been what we thought it would be a transitional season and we'd all like to see a little bit more. Let's hope we can finish the season strongly. And you guys know better than me, if we get a result at Cardiff on Saturday, if we go and win there, then um, probably everything will be seen in a in a far more positive light um, not, and, and, and not just because of one game. And that has beautifully brought us on to the Derby match. Let's discuss it. It is... Well, it's it's the biggest game in any kind of uh, in any season. Um, our trip down the M4 to the Cardiff City Stadium to face uh, our old friends in blue, uh, and we're chasing Steve a historic double. Not the first time we've been trying to um, trying to complete this elusive double, but we've never quite managed to do it. Is this going to be the year that we finally get two league wins in the single season against Cardiff City? Um, I'd be lying if I said I was overly confident going into this. <laughs> Our form has, has not been great, has it? And history suggests that it's not going to happen as well. So, yeah, my, my confidence isn't sky high. Although you do never know. It is one game at the end of the day. 
you've got to think the law of averages suggests that at some point somebody is going to do the double. So, look, if it's going to depend on, isn't it? We've, Stuart was talking about Patterson there. He was injured for the last game. And Downs didn't play the last game because he, I think he was carrying a knock potentially. I mean, if those two, for example, don't play, then my confidence will drain even further. So that's going to be the big thing. Who is fit? Who, who's going to be playing for us? And if we've got our full team out there, we will have obviously a, a significant better chance. So um, look, it's a one-off. We just got to go there, and hopefully the players know the importance of the game and. And obviously, they, they should be there thinking to themselves, well, if someone gets the winner, then they'll be go down in folklore forever, won't they? As the, the person who um, scored the winning goal to give us that elusive double that has, you know, both teams have never managed to, to get. So, you know, there, there should be a lot of incentive for the players uh, come Saturday lunchtime, or, well, Saturday afternoon, I should say, because obviously for once it hasn't been moved, is it? I, I still can't believe it's at three o'clock on a Saturday. It's, it's That just beggars belief, really. But... Um... I mean, in fairness, the Swans, the one thing you'll say about the Swans is that they've proven time and time again that the players do know what this fixture means. They do consistently um, raise their game. And we've seen it several times before where they've gone into games on poor runs of form and they've just plucked a performance out of somewhere and just beaten Cardiff um, out of nowhere, really. Um, and we're hoping, really, aren't we, that the same thing's going to happen again because Cardiff have won three and drawn one of their last four games going into this one. Uh, we've only won one of our four games going into it, and uh, that was a bit of a hairy one away at Peterborough as well. So the f- recent form would suggest that Cardiff are the favourites. They've also um, sorted out the home form under Steve Morris, and they've only, I think, lost one of their last eight home games, and that was against Fulham. Um, so... Let's face it, the odds are in Cardiff's favour, aren't they, Steve? Yeah, I think the odds are. As you say, I think it's seven wins in 12 as well. So they have picked up considerably. Obviously, you know, they were on a shocking run, weren't they, earlier in the season, having lost um, you know, nine in a row, which, you know, at any level is is horrendous, really, isn't it? So, you know, obviously great from our point of view. But, yeah, they, they've picked up. It almost seems like a couple of the signings they made seem to have had an impact as well in the transfer window. Obviously, Tommy Doyle was one thing. Jordan Hugill, Boucher, Ikpezu, Ik- was it? I'm not exactly sure how to say that one. But, you know, obviously, I know they sold Kiefer Moore, but he didn't have a massive impact uh, this season, really, did he? So, if anything, they made a mistake. Maybe not um, cashing in on him during the summer where they would have had more money for him. But, yeah, it does seem like, you know, those couple of signings have, have helped Cardiff out. And, um you know, they they were in, in danger of relegation at one point, but they've got no such worries really now, have they? So, um, you know, they're probably in a similar way of us looking to maybe, you know, finish in a in a good way and, and building for next season. But obviously on uh, on Saturday nobody will be thinking about that. It'll be uh all about uh, those bragging rights that mean so much. Um, Stu, we, we we started talking there about the changes that have been since we last played against Cardiff. And, and this Cardiff team is going to be very different to the one that Mick McCarthy brought down to the banks of the River Tower back in, um, when was it, October. Um, I mean, it's it's a, it's a got a bit of speed in it now. It's a younger team. They've used the tr- January transfer window well. Um, Cody Drama is a player that Steve didn't mention there, who I think, in addition to the ones he named, has, um, you know, added just a different dimension to to, to what was a really sluggish side, I felt, um, earlier on in the season. Um, 
How do you rate the job that Steve Morrison's done at Cardiff? Because I'll be honest, I didn't really expect much from him. I didn't think he'd last this long. I thought he'd be just a caretaker option, but his success means that he's he's kept the job. Um, how how's it struck you his time in charge? Yeah, exactly what you've just said. Really, I agree with all of that. Um, when they initially gave him, I just thought it was going to be a stopgap appointment, basically that would see them through. I mean, they've they've done some strange things with managers. There never seems to be any real um, common thread running through their their appointments. Um, you know, the, the, there's no real strategy there at times. But you have to say this has worked out really well for them, and he seems to have galvanized that that Cardiff team he's obviously very motivated it's a it's a chance for him to um, coach at a high level earlier than you might otherwise sooner than you might otherwise get and yeah they just feel like a very different Cardiff team to the one that came to Swansea in October which was which was woeful really I mean um, I couldn't imagine that I'd feel so comfortable sat there in the second half I remember even 2-0 it was a lovely goal um to make it two and and sometimes you know two nil you're often thinking oh god we we need another and of course I wanted us to get another but I didn't feel we did need another that day I thought Cardiff was so poor miles off it but it feels like yeah a completely different Cardiff side that we'll come up against on Saturday a really difficult game I said to Steve the other day that you know a one one draw would be a, a, a pretty good result really would I take that out now uh, now no absolutely not because there's okay. that obviously chance to create history isn't there you'd roll the dice you you hope we can go there and in uh and do that and maybe this international breaks actually come at a good little time for for us you know I don't think it's so much about our oh, chance for Russell Martin to do more work on the training ground that kind of thing I'm sure they've had a lot of messages over the course of the season but I just feel it's not a bad time to for us to take a step back, as we've touched on, we were, you know, we've been inconsistent with our performances, and um, yeah, I think I think the players will be bang up for this game. I've always sensed that that uh, that wh- whoever's in charge, um, that they've had a really good handle on what this game means uh, to 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 the city, to the supporters. So um, I just think it's. It's key there, stating the obvious, but we go there and make a good start, not a Blackpool-type start, which unfortunately, you know, those conceding those early goals, and, and we don't find it easy to score anyway. That's the last thing we need on Saturday to give them any any initiative, any confidence. But, yeah, they're, um, they're, they're clearly a much better team, and their results show that. I did think at one time, crikey, they could get sucked into a relegation battle here. Um, but they're well clear of that now. And just looking at the table, I think they're what, two points behind us, aren't they? So, you know, the last thing we need is them beating us and going above us on Saturday. Uh, so, yeah, hopefully that little break's done us good. Patterson's back in the team. Downs is back in. Unfortunately, Manning can't play, which is a shame because I think he gives some balance to the team on the left. But um, otherwise, hopefully we're at full strength. I've got to ask you, as a reporter who will interview managers as part of the job, what mm. do you think of um, Steve Morrison's kind of approach in post-match interviews? Because uh, he's... Isaac, Isaac Davis was the one, wasn't it? That was remarkable. Well, I mean, it's not it's not just the one occasion. I mean, there have been several occasions where he seems to have thrown youngsters under the bus. I mean, yeah. it seems to work, but it's so weird for me. I, I really can't get my head around it. No, I don't. And... Does it work? I don't know. You never know what people think privately, do you? What they say publicly and what they actually think. I mean, that then, I 
correct me if I'm wrong, I think he said something like he was more of a hindrance to the team, didn't he? Um, when yeah. he brought him yeah. on and then took him off again. And um, I just found that an absolutely bizarre thing to come out with. Um, you question whether someone would say that about a senior player and saying it about a young player who's just finding his way in the game um, was really, really strange for me. And I know people say, oh, Morrison knows him, he's worked with him and all the rest. I just think, no, it's nonsense for me. It's completely different for you to say something like that about a young player when he's come into the first team and a really talented young player by the sound of things. Uh, so, yeah, I find that I find that strange. I think once you stray down that path of sort of criticising players, um, yeah, it can be dangerous. Equally, if we're all honest, lads, we, we want managers to come out and be honest don't we? You know, we don't. I think the last thing you want to hear is a manager saying we played well when you've just sat through it and thought, well, no, we haven't, kind of thing. But if you take that to digging out individuals, I think it's. Uh, I, I don't. I just don't think it's. I just don't think it's very clever. And um, yeah, it's it's strange that maybe he's learning and finding his way, and obviously dealing with the media in a way that he hasn't done before. But uh, I'd be surprised if he keeps doing that kind of thing. Yeah, I always think like, um, you know, if there's a young player maybe hasn't played very well, I'd, I'd always turn it the other way and go, like, I, I brought him off because he wasn't having his best day, but he's a young player. You know, we'll have other days, there'll be more opportunities. That type of thing. You don't say the type of things that Morrison says, do you? Not in my opinion, anyway. Because, because for me, the, the thing is, he's had several games where he's started a, a youngster and then taken him off. Um, quite quite early on in the game, it happened with Isaac Davis. Um, I think it happened with um, uh, what's his name, what, Max Waters as well. I think it's happened with another player. And each time he's come out and said something similar, like "Oh no, it wasn't," you know, he wasn't good enough, or, or etc. And you're thinking, well, if you're having to do that game after game after game, surely the issue is with your team selection more than the player itself. I don't know. That's just me. But like I said, the results suggest that. For the for the for the time being, at least he's um, he's he's getting them to click. Um, so who who am I to judge? I guess, but um, I don't know. It's the kind of thing that I think fans will turn on and use against him if results don't go well. Um, that that's how I feel. Um, I mean, Matt, look looking ahead to Saturday. Steve, um, Steve's already put his cards on the table. He says he wants a win. He's not settling for a draw. Um, my attitude is always safety first. I'm a Swansea fan living in Cardiff. Uh, I just don't want them to have any kind of bragging rights. And I'll, as long as we don't lose, I'm pretty satisfied. Um, winning is just a massive bonus. Um, what, 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 what's your feeling about this? Considering Cardiff's form, would you take, uh, and, and our form too, would you take the draw or do you think we've just got to go all out for the win and, and get that double that we've been chasing for so many years? I think it's, you know, I think right now the sensible thing to say was a draw would not be a bad result at all. Uh, I'll be honest about that. But obviously, once I get up there, once I've had a couple of drinks, once the whistle goes, I'll be thinking this is must win at all costs. But I mean, realistically, I mean, a draw is not bad. I mean, if you said to me every year we're going to have four points off Cardiff, I'm, I'm not going to turn that down. I'll be honest with you. But it's just difficult, isn't it? Because obviously we do want that double, and someone may well do it at some point. And you know, obviously, with the chance it is there, isn't it? I mean, but I mean, it's the the way that we've been playing. I just can't be overly optimistic that this is the time where we're going to get the double. I mean, I think last season was a big chance, really. I think if you win the away one first, that always sets you up nicely. And obviously, we we were the better side last year overall, and compared to them, obviously, we finished fourth. And I don't know where they finished, but 
that did feel like a big chance to do the double. I remember the, I felt the year that actually we were both in the Premier League, that was a big chance because I felt that we were a better side than them by quite a bit at that point as well. And obviously we ended up losing the first game. So, like you, you don't know, do you? But I think if, if this was a normal game, we'd all be saying that oh, a draw is not, not a bad result here, but obviously it's them and, and there's a double at stake. So it's, it's a difficult one. But, you know, I think there's always that thing in the back of your head of thinking this could be the one chance that we get to do it. But I do also remember the times where we've been up there when, particularly when Michael Chopra scored in the last minute and it was hell on earth. So, <laughs> yeah, that that's the that's the problem, isn't it? It's a fine balance. It sort of depends on how the game is going. What I would say is absolutely do not risk everything to get the win because if it goes the other way, it is horrendous. Yeah, we all remember Michael Chopra's last-minute winner. That that was not nice in any way, shape, or form. Um, but still, those those wins for Cardiff have been pretty rare in the last two years. They've only won one of the last six. Uh, we've won four of our last six in in the derby, um, and and Cardiff have only scored one goal in those six games. How much do you think that previous um, those previous memories will actually hang over that Cardiff squad? Um, and and does, do you think that kind of thing will play on their mind? The fact that they do have quite a poor record and they they have failed to turn up to several derbies by now. Yeah, I'm never sure that going back in time, players think that much about that kind of thing unless they were one of those players who played in a lot of those matches. But I do feel there'll be a lot of talk in the lead up about the possibility of Swansea doing the double for the first time, just like there was last season. And I think that brings a psychological pressure um, for the Cardiff players to deal with, to think we don't want to be that group who suffered, you know, the two defeats in the season to Swansea. We don't want to go down as being the team that kind of let the club down, so to speak. So they've got to deal with that side of things. Um, it's funny listening to you guys. It makes me think, you know, when you, when you say about, uh, you know, um, not taking a draw or words to that effect, you know, a draw would be the sensible thing. And I'm thinking I haven't got a proper handle on this at all. Have I saying roll the dice and go for a win? But um, <laughs> it, it feel, I think because I'm not Welsh, it's slightly different for me. And don't get me wrong, you know, my, my son, Zach, will do the swim away with the best of them kind of thing. But um, <laughs> I, I feel like Bristol City... I was desperate to beat them, desperate, and and so Zach, you know, um, it's the city we live in, so it's it's a bit like you with Cardiff in a way, um, could say, you know, it's 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 a strange relationship with us because we're obviously English and not Welsh, and um, and that Bristol City game, I was devastated. I missed that start of the season, Ashton Gate. It looked like a wild night as well, brilliant night to be in the away end. We've been there a few times in, um, I think only come away with a nil-nil draw at best. Um, so um, delighted when we won the recent one, three-one. Yeah, we love the, um, you know, beating Cardiff in October as well. But uh, yeah, it just, it, I don't have that same, I'm like, God, just go for it. You know, like Steve said, then, you know, it's not worth risking it. And I'm thinking, yeah, it is. Put it put it all on red kind of thing. <laughs> let's, let's, let's go for it and try and, and, try and do the double. Um, but Steve told me many times of how horrendous it is uh, traveling away from that stadium if, if you haven't got a result. And actually, when I did it with you, Steve, um, the nil-nil draw under Cooper in the first season. That is, isn't it? Is that right? Uh, yeah. Um, I remember getting on the bus afterwards and it was just quiet on there. And obviously we hadn't lost. It was nil-nil, wasn't it? Um, it was a bit of a nothing game, really. Uh, but it was just a really strange feeling coming away from the game that day. It, in, in a way, it almost... 
it felt like a little bit of an anticlimax that day and certainly felt very flat on that journey back to Swansea. And by the way, what a bonkers thing it was I had to do that day where I went from Bristol to your house, stayed overnight, Steve, past Cardiff to Swansea, to go to Cardiff, to go back to Swansea afterwards, to go past Cardiff, to get home to Bristol. And, um, you know, absolutely ridiculous, but I did want to experience the whole the whole bubble side of things. Um, one thing's for sure, if I'm watching Saturday, well, I will be watching Saturday in, in, in some way, shape or form. And I see, uh, and obviously be cheering Swansea on, I'll be, I'll be gutted that I'm, I'm not there to, to witness that little moment of history. Um, so, yeah, uh, but I do think that chance to create history is something for, uh, for, for Swansea to play on in terms of the pressure that puts on Steve Morrison and his players. For what it's worth, Stu, um, listening to what Gitto and Steve were saying there, I'm actually le- leaning more towards your uh, view. On I, it. Oh, okay. I, well, I, I think, think plenty of people feel like you two, to be honest. I think I'm just a little bit more overcautious. But I think, honestly, I think a lot of people are just like, right, shove it, go for the chance. If we go can, for it. What I, would, what, I would, so what I would perhaps say is, it obviously you have to manage the game, depending on how that game pans out. Um, but if we're seventieth minute and it's a bit less nil nil, it's really like I'd be really infuriated if we if we played out a draw. I'd I'd want us to roll the dice. It might not come off, but I wouldn't want us to to play protecting a nil nil or protecting a one all. Um, I'd I'd want us to at least try and try and grab the winner. Um, and I like the Russell Martin seemed quite as astounded that it never happened in the history of the club. So. I think it was a shock to him to find out, and I, I'm I'm hoping that resonates in that he might see the way this season has panned out. Perhaps it hasn't really gone to the way he hoped it would have either. Um, and he's looking at this, thinking, "Wow, what an opportunity for me as well to really win over the the doubters and stuff, and to really make me think. I've, I've bought myself a bit a lot more time now to to get this working. Um, if you do that, if you do the first double in history, that'll that'll certainly help a long go a long way towards that. But um, yeah, play the game, but also if it's there, if it's nil nil, you got 15 minutes left. Bring another attacker on, go on. <laughs> it's never happened. It's never happened. With, with that in mind, Matt, what what would you like to see Russell Martin do team selection wise to give us the best possible chance of of getting that double that we've we've been chasing for so long? So there's players we've got um, that that need to start. Downs and Patterson, fitness pending, uh, are both nailed on to to start for me. Um, I want to see Olivier and Cham on the bench because I don't think he starts games very well. He hasn't got enough he's, of a tank on him. I think he's also been out uh, with Cameroon and the World Cup qualifiers, hasn't he? Even though I don't okay. think he's in the matchday squad. So I think he's been travelling very long distances during this international window, which isn't really the best thing for somebody with his kind of fitness and injury record. No. No, and I, to be honest, it might play in our hands a little bit so that he's forced to, 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 to start. I think he's really effective off the bench, actually. It's not like he comes on, let's use him as a bit part player. I think he is a really effective option off the bench. He's probably the biggest threat we've got on the bench, if you think of the players that we tend to bring off um, off the bench in a game. Um, he comes on and he, he tends to make things happen. And in the times he's come off the bench, he's... He's quite often been involved in game-changing moments, so it's it, it's a real great asset to have. Um, he doesn't seem to have the same impact on on, on starting eleven. Um, yeah, Patterson and Downs in there, uh, and obviously alongside Grimes. Um, I don't think he's going to you know play Ugberta, but 
it, it would be it would be a big ask, I think, for him to to come and make his uh, you know make a big impact on a game like that. Um, but I would stick with the two up top as well, Obafemi and Perot, or whatever you like to think that shape is um, up front. I think they are. Obafemi's in the form of his life, um, albeit it's, a, it's an early early career for him yet. But um, and Perot the same in terms of his season, he's still managing to chip in with goals. Uh, I, you need to have goal scorers on a pitch. Um, we've we've been bemoaning the lack of uh, chances created and 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 really goal goal changing moments in games. Uh, when you do create them, you want players on the pitch that are going to stick them away. So uh, Patterson creating for those two is always giving us a chance. Um, the strongest eleven, obviously you go with that, and you have um, players that can come off the bench and make an impact. It'd be interesting to see, um, you know, who who wants to make a name for themselves because there is a few players as well that maybe feel like they haven't had uh, as much of an opportunity this season um, as as they would have liked, and so they could try and make a name for themselves. It it depends what um, what Russell Martin is feeling. I think this game might might still be up for it with with ten minutes left to go, and I'm nervous saying it, but I, I think it's going to be touch and go, and it's uh, well, whoever's braver at that point, really. Get, get okay. to a quick quick one. Who plays left side centre half on on Saturday? Well, if you're going with, I mean, Norton and Cabango are nailed on to be centre centre yeah. halves, but who's the other one? Probably Bennett. I think, but it's, it's it's between those two, surely. Um, I really don't want to see Flynn Downs dropped into defence. No. I think he's wasted uh, in that, that position. That might happen, if I'm honest. I I hate to see that happen. I think we just we just waste You know, one of the best defensive midfielders in in the championship. If we did that, I I would rather see Burns. I think just because of his mobility. I think this is a di- mind you, Cardiff have got. You know, the like if they play Ekpiazu up front, then you need a big guy up against him to be able to deal with him. Maybe Bennett would be the guy in that case. It's it's that's a tough choice. I don't think there's a there's a, a a right answer there. I just think there may be a less wrong answer there somewhere. Downs is the wrong answer, isn't it? Downs is the wrong answer. Do you, do you know what? Um, I think we mentioned this in the last podcast of the Birmingham game, Gitto, with the 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 compilation that Sky put together of the missed chances. Um, the first one that uh, Birmingham missed was a bloke that got in behind um, Burns, and uh, God, he was he was walk, running through treacle. It yeah, was it was losing ground true. on him. That's true. Um, I'm not saying that it, it might he might have taken a knock. I'm not sure what the backstory was there. Of course, he was he was hooked at half time, wasn't he? Um, but I think. Looking at it, I was surprised. I didn't notice it in the game much. I thought he held his own. But looking at the highlights and watching the game back, I was surprised that why how slow he had been in a, in a, in a foot race. Um, don't know if that's the case on training ground or whether that's the norm for him. But um, but I would probably edge towards Bennett on the on account of experience, aerial threat, uh, well aerial ability at least at the back and um, and keeping a keeping. Um, that defence in in order really. Um, there's games in which you want to have a little bit of adventure at the back. And God, and just imagining Ryan Bennett playing those risky passes across the back line now, and my heart's in my mouth. But I just, I just think this is the sort of game that he might uh, he might excel in. He says nervously. That, that's your that's your worry, Matt, isn't it? That I'm picturing that scenario and thinking, and Bennett, 
He hasn't played much lately, guys. No, no. it feels like he's been phased out the team a little bit. And it, I don't think any of us would ever see Bennett as being the sort of player that Martin would have brought in. He's obviously someone he inherited. And then I think Ben is is improving all the time. But you wouldn't say that Ben's strongest asset is his is his technical ability to play out. He's got a lot better for sure. But it yeah. feels like we could really do with someone the other side. Obviously, Norton in the middle, that role suits him. Um, although I still think without the ball, he gets dragged um, out of position a little bit with the ball. He's such a calm head. But, but that feels like such an important position to fill in the summer, to have someone yeah. who is comfortable on the ball, who's got a little bit of pace because um, we don't have that now. And as you guys talk, that's why I asked the question, because it's one that I can't decide on. I, I have no idea what it'd do. Part of me, I know you, I think Steve said you wouldn't want to see it and it wouldn't be surprised if Downs does um, drop in there and he plays Smith maybe I, I don't know I, I just I don't think he'll play Burns I can't see him playing him in a game of this magnitude and especially after the Birmingham experience where he may well have had a knock as well I don't know but Latibodier uh, I'd be surprised if he put him in, in for a game like this and because and Bennett's been out the team I don't know I just don't know what sort of shape he'll be in coming back it's a real you know it's a crying shame that the Manning situation is what it is really exactly that's what I was going to say it's just, it's just that that Ryan Manning red card is really costing us because um, oh, he's you know it, it leaves the team really unbalanced when he's not playing both I mean he, he, he leaves two positions really really problematic really left back and left centre back um it's it's just yeah it's a really costly red card that one and then um, we have five right-footed players across the back yeah it's it's a real issue and it just once again leaves me very very appreciative of Mark Gay and what an amazing player he was last season because Agreed. man he compensated for a lot on that side of the defense really yeah. did um, well let's finish off the uh, the card of chat with a prediction as we always do Steve we'll start off with you. <laughs> What's the score going to be? I'm going to sit on the fence and say one all. Matt? Yeah, um, I know Steve mentioned earlier in the podcast about, uh, you know, um, balance of probability and stuff. But in in how many years? 100 plus years? It's not happened. So it just doesn't seem to fall that way. I, I'm going to say uh, a one all as well. Stu? What are you, you got, feeling for this one? Well, you've you got a hat trick there now because I, mean, I said this to Steve the other day, so I can't, nothing has happened to make me change my mind. So, yeah, I think 1 1 as well. I want to say 1 0 Cabango header for some reason, but um, uh, um, that's long overdue, by the way, uh, centre half scoring uh, like that. So, um, yeah, 1 uh, 1, that's my prediction. I, I'm the pessimistic one because I, I, if I was looking at this objectively as a neutral, I think I would be going for a Cardiff City win. I think. They've got the form on the side. I also think they're the kind of team that we do struggle against. They'll, they'll be reasonably comfortable sitting back and they've got pace to catch us out um, on the counter-attack when, when we do lose possession. Um, I think those transitions could be could be key, really, to deciding whether or not we um, we get anything out of the game. But I am, I am worried about this one, I'll be honest. I hope that by predicting a defeat, uh, a two-run defeat, um, I'm actually giving the Swans the kiss of life. Uh, <laughs> but, if you um, don't mind, Gitto, just before we wrap up, I'd just like to ask Stu and Steve, who've both gone with one all with myself, how they think that scoreline is going to come about, whether you think it's going to be 
us with the double in our sights or whether we're going to claw a point off it. Um, Steve, go on. I think we're probably more likely to score first. And then. So yeah. we are going to have that moment, you think? That Joe that Allen moment. Before, I remember we, um, I think the infamous chopper year. We were winning, weren't we? Mm. But the funny thing is, I think in those days, I'm not sure the double was built up in the way that it has been in recent years. I don't know why that is, but. Um, I think there was more on the line back then because, well, maybe not, maybe not compared to like the last few years, but back then both teams were going for promotion to the Premier League, and the big question back then was which which team's going to be the first Welsh club to get to the Premier League. That was the bigger question than who's yeah. going to be the first to make the, to complete the double. It's almost no one knew there hadn't been a double, and then someone stumbled across and went, <laughs> "Oh, but that's what's going on about it all the time." Genuinely, this is this is one of the questions I had in mind. Like, we'll just deal with it really quickly. How big is the double? <laughs> We've been going on about it all all season, but I genuinely I thought about this last few days. I do think when either side does eventually do the double, and it will surely happen at some point in my lifetime. Um, I do think it's not. I can't see it being the kind of thing that fans brag about for years to come. Like, oh, we were the first to do the double. Have that, you know, in the same way as when the Swans went up to the Premier League. That was kind of bragging rights for life. Then we were forever uh, and a day that the last, the first Welsh team in the Premier League. It doesn't feel quite this kind of. I'm like, changing my Twitter handle if it happens, mate. <laughs> 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 well, I don't know. It's it's obviously a massive um, a massive thing in this moment. I do think it, it does play a lot into what Steve was saying. There was bigger fish to fry back then as well. Um, at the moment, it's. Uh, it's it's all it's the season boils down to to Saturday really, doesn't it? Which is uh which is the stark reality of it. Um but do you know what to add to what you were saying, I got the feeling that as much as we're gonna, you know, absolutely love if we'd manage to do it, I think the other team will do it next season. <laughs> just think it'll be one of those things that once the once the door's been opened, I just think we and next season we'd probably lose the double. I'll just be like, Oh no, it's gone that quickly. But uh, that'd be typical, wouldn't it? One one thing I will say is, um, if if the Swans do lose, um, the the entire Jack Army can blame me for it because I have been to every single Sw- South Wales derby uh, that's been played at the Cardiff City Stadium, apart from the t- the only two that we've won. <laughs> so those are the only right. two. That I have. Needs to um, give you some laxatives on Saturday. <laughs> <that's right in. laughs> If you've got any kind of, if you've got any friends with COVID, then um, pass them over to cough in my face. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So there we go. Well, we just have to hope and pray, really, that the Swans do what they, in fairness, do on a very regular basis in this fixture and really turn up and give it their all for the fans. Um, we we all remember what that felt like back in October when we got the three 0 We've we've experienced it plenty of times before. But if we could just make it on Saturday again, another big victory in the derby, man, it, it would be just so sweet. So amazingly sweet. We're just going to wrap up the podcast by uh, looking back at the uh, Wales game, particularly. I don't think we need to concentrate too much on the uh, Czech Republic friendly. But, um, Steve, I know you were there on Thursday night against Austria. Uh, where does that rank among the kind of the recent great games uh, in, in in Welsh international football? Uh, it's definitely in there, isn't it? I think it's probably the best one, certainly, that I've been to since the since Euro 2016. I mean, it was... You could sort of sense it was just a big one. I mean, uh, I was in Cardiff quite early and 
the pubs were were bouncing. You you couldn't really get a seat in a pub. Every, everywhere seemed to be singing. And I think a couple of my mates were on trains up after me, and they said there was there were people singing on the trains. And you don't usually get that, to be honest, with uh, with the Wales game. So you could just sense it was it was a big one. And you know, I, unfortunately, I was I only got in there just in time for the anthem, so I I missed uh, David Ewan. But um, same with me, I was gutted. I mean, it was uh, it, look, it was a special night. You could just feel it was. You know, one of those big game nights and big players, big moments, big games. Kamasiawa delivered again, didn't he? Thank God. I mean, well, that's the thing, isn't it, Matt? I mean, Gareth Bale, we've run out of things to say about him, but it's so rare to see a world-class player who doesn't just bring his, you know, do his best for his country, because in fairness, there are a lot of great players who've done their their best for the country. Nobody could accuse Cristiano Ronaldo of ever slacking for Portugal. But Gareth Bale deliberately kind of saves his very best for Wales and always has and has always put international football front and centre. I mean, that that is just pretty unique in the modern game, isn't it? Well, I, I, I love the fact that he his, his career has some very noticeable uh, similarities to uh, Ryan Giggs in that they're both uh, the best left-sided player in Britain in their generation. And, and you were just thinking, wow, and they're both Welsh um, and, and they're both being considered the best player in their Wales squad at any given time. And one of them chose to to, to bin Wales off and, and concentrate on his club career. And the other one did the complete opposite. And I think the Welsh population took that on board quite early on and, um, you know, took, took Gareth Bale to their heart. And his relationship with the Welsh fans has always been A+. plus. You know, it's been top-notch. He's always had that big game mentality. And, and when you have a game like that, you want your best players in the pitch. You want your players with that sort of experience. I mean, this is a guy with four Champions Leagues. You know, he's won two of them on his own. He's won a Copa del Rey, no countless La Ligas. You know, he's just a guy who's done it all at the highest level. So when you've got your other players, and Wales squad is littered with championship level players, some even below that level now, um, who have never experienced the, the magnitude of, of the fixture on Thursday night. Looking over the change room and seeing Gareth Bale there, cool as a cucumber, talking about playing golf on the weekend. You know, you just think we're in safe hands here. You know, this guy is is, and I've been quite critical. Well, not critical. That's not a fair word. I think I questioned previously is his influence perhaps waning now? Is his is he just getting on? Maybe his legs aren't quite there. Um, well, he's proved me wrong on Thursday. He turned up. He turned up in spades, and uh, he did what he does best, and he. he taking the game by the scruff of the neck so fantastic and I hear now he's making his club decision after uh, the the playoff final so um, it'll be interesting to see what happens there for him next season I can't believe you missed the national anthem you two crikey I, I, oh, no, on I here anthem. It was I mean the free singing it was I got in there for the anthem thank oh, okay well I actually am my, my wife is not a football fan at all and I have my mother-in-law here as well last Thursday uh, down for a few days and I actually said, everyone's got to stop for this. And I put it on, turned it up. And this is an, this is an Englishman, obviously. Um, you know, I, I used to love those moments covering Wales, listening to that. I remember the opening game at Euro 2016, as I'm sure you all do, which was just, you know, an incredible moment hearing that go around the stadium. And I just think you've got a really special connection. You know this anyway, but you've got a really special connection between your, your football team and your supporters. And then if you contrast that with what happened to England, uh, Wembley last night with Maguire being booed, um, you know, it's night and day, that difference. And I think Bale loves that. 
he he feeds off that. Uh, playing for his country has always meant so much to him, and uh, you just see him like pull on that red shirt and and take his game to another level in a way. Now some people probably well certainly we know they don't like that in Madrid, but uh, it just brings out the best in him, and I think it always feels as well as if he's playing with his mates, not just playing with international teammates, playing with his friends, plays with that freedom and. Um, yeah, I understand what you're saying, Matt, really, when you, you think, you know, was he on the wane? Could he still do it? Could he still, like, bend games in Wells' Wales's favour as he's done over the years? Did he have that power, that ability to influence a game in the same in the same way? And obviously, yeah, he did answer all those questions. That free kick was just extraordinary. And then actually the second goal, which is, I don't think many players score that, you know, running with his back to goal almost and just how instinctive he was taking that shot, taking that touch first and then thumping it in. So yeah, I was delighted to see you boys um, get through. I did have some interesting, Zach asked me some interesting questions for us next. He, it's, he, he can't get his head around, Steve, how you can go to Cardiff to watch Wales play. And I, I, I was trying to explain all that. Um, but um, that was quite complex for him to understand, um, uh, which I guess... That out of it, haven't you? Like, yeah. You are, and I tried to say that too. On him, it, yeah. We was like discussing how someone views it as like it's Wales' stadium, but Cardiff play there. And I suppose sometimes you... Um, <laughs> I like that. Think of it a little bit um, like that, really. But look, the, the truth is it works. I mean... When I was a kid, we were filling the Millennium Stadium, which was great at the time, but the atmosphere really wasn't what it is at the Cardiff City Stadium. So that's sort of how I look at it. And I am one of those people who does strongly believe that that's where Wales should play. And I would be furious if they moved it to Millennium to the point where I probably wouldn't go. That's how strongly I do feel on it. that It really works. The atmosphere is something special, mainly because there's fans of other clubs there, not Cardiff, because as we will see on Saturday, Cardiff are not particularly loud. And we would be reminded of it again. But um, yeah, it, um, it, it just works. It, I don't know what it is. And the, the fans love it. The players love it. And yeah, it does anger me if it ever gets mentioned about moving from there because we found something that, that properly works. Yeah. You, if you put a top five down, sorry, Stu, if you put a top five Cardiff City Stadium moments down, I'm not sure a Cardiff City game would get in there. Yeah, generally, it's it's just, um, it, it doesn't feel like Cardiff Stadium when, when Wales are playing there. Um, it did before i mean we have had this problem in the past where kind of fans have not been able to leave their club rivalries at the do- at the door and we have uh, it's, it's there's nothing worse though when you pay to watch your country play and there's some waste uh, who um starts booing ashley williams when he plays or picks a fight with the swansea fan or something like that or there's this aggressive thing that that, that some fans will do they'll go up to you and ask like who do you support then who do you support and you just know that you know they, that you there is a potential wrong answer that you could give to that uh, question, which could get you in trouble. Um, so it's just I, I think we've had so many kind of miserable experiences with that over the years. I think the message is finally I'm hoping got through to the majority um, that actually Wales games are better when you just forget about Swans in Cardiff for 90 minutes and just you know put that to one side and concentrate on supporting your country because actually. You know, the, the the weird thing is, I, I I was at the stadium on Thursday night and I'll be there again on Saturday. And the two atmospheres will be so, so different because <laughs> the, the, the derby is all about hatred and animosity and bitterness. 
Um, it's it's a horrible, spiteful game. It brings out the worst in both clubs, really. Um, and Wales games are the total opposite. They're positive. They're celebratory. They're, they're a chance to embrace everything that's great about about Wales, um, rather than just hating on the opposition. So I mean that you you won't get two more different atmospheres in a single stadium than what you had uh, at Wales Austria and what you'll have at Cardiff versus Swansea. Um, but they're both brilliant in their own special ways, you know, but the, what the, both of them show kind of contrasting elements of um, football fandom, I guess. But um, I mean, yeah, I'll be honest, when I go to watch Cardiff, uh, um, well, Swansea, uh, Wales, sorry, play at the Cardiff City Stadium, um, I do by now, I think, think of it as kind of Wales' stadium and Cardiff just play there the rest of the year. That That's how I see it these days. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Good and just to finish off, Steve, um, looking ahead to that, um, the, the World Cup playoff that awaits us in June or whenever it gets played, who would you rather play in that match, Ukraine or Scotland? It's a tough one, really, isn't it? I mean, I, I'm fairly sure that it's going to be Scotland one way or the other. Um, I think the heartless side of me would probably rather Ukraine. I mean, they've got such bigger fish to fry at the moment, they? and hopefully that will get resolved in a in a good way. Um but I mean, we we've just got to focus on ourselves from our point of view. I mean, you know, as as far as I'm concerned, if we've got everybody fit, it's a home game. We've got a very good record at the Cardiff City Stadium. It's there for us then to do the job. So that's all we can can really focus on, isn't it? And of course, the draws on Friday, so there'll be an incentive dangled in front of us. We'll know exactly who we could be playing. So you know, let's just hope everybody's fit because if they are then we've got to be confident that we can do the job. Yeah, agreed. Well, that's a good way to finish off what's been an absolutely fantastic podcast. Thank you. A massive thank you to Stu for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on this massive week of the podcast. And um, hopefully we can get you on some other time as well. Um, But thank you very much for all of you for listening. Hopefully you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be looking back at the uh, South Wales derby and hopefully celebrating a Swans double. So without further ado, come on the Swans and please, 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 please do it for that Travelling Jack Army. Until next time, thank you very much for listening. (laughs) 